This podcast, like many episodes of Getting Better Acquainted, was recorded a few years ago. There's something so geekily satisfying about taking a sentence that doesn't work and making it into a sentence that does or works better. And they sent me a box of live lice by motorcycle courier to Gloucester <laughs> Cathedral. I received it off the courier, went downstairs and sprinkled them over this pair <laughs> shirt for the shot. <sighs> Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Emily. Hello, Emily. Hello. <laughs> that's another one of the things that's getting a bit robotic. <laughs> like, uh, there's there's a few bits in the show that have become catchphrases now that I'm really aware, like becoming too self-aware now when I'm doing it. So the first question that I ask is, how do you know me? I know you through our writers group. So we first met a couple of years ago now. I think um, so, yeah. Yes. I was going along to a writers group that came out of a creative writing course I did at Birkbeck, which was made up of several students from the course. A few people dropped out, so we were looking for new blood. And I can't remember now exactly how how you and Jen came to the group. We came through Angela, who right. I work with. That's right. Angela was on the, our course, and then Angela, yes, knew you through work. That's and right. that's so. And then I came, and we both came together, me and Jen, for the first time. It was. It's funny. Is that I. Initially, I wasn't going to be in the writing group. I was just kind of getting Jen into a writing group because I knew that she would like one. And uh, although she, at the time, she, when I put the uh, proposition to her, she didn't like the idea of being in a writing group. But it turned out that she does she like does. it. So <laughs> I was right. I was right on that. But I was wrong that I didn't like it. And in fact, I did. I did like it a lot, which surprised me really because I because I did creative writing at university, and that's a bit like writing group. Yeah, yeah. So I thought I wouldn't enjoy a writing group, but I do. To give people an idea of what we do at Writing Group, we read everybody's stories or fiction or non-fiction from that week and then we critique it afterwards. That's pretty much the idea of it. Sometimes it's bits of novels, sometimes it's poetry, blah, blah, blah. And the writing group meets every two weeks, although you haven't been for ages. I know, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really sad. I'm, because I moved to Oxford about uh, a year ago now. Exactly, I just met exactly yeah. a year ago. Um, I think it's, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Arthur was born. I had a baby. So uh, when, when, when I was uh, pregnant, we decided to leave the big city and move to a smaller city and came back to where my partner lives in Oxford. It's like Oxford to London is actually quite an easy commute. So really that's, easy. That's, yeah, so that doesn't, that's not what stands in my way. It's having a baby that's been standing yeah. in my well, way. Well, uh, when you said you would be very <laughs> swiftly commuting, oh, yeah, I, I, I was kind of uh, <laughs> sceptical, but I've learned not to challenge people until they, they discover for themselves. Yes. Hopefully it will get He's a year old now, so hopefully it will get better. I think it will. I mean, and and, and these things are all... Everybody's different. So I think that's the problem, that that a couple of people might be instantaneously commuting to and from London, but not everybody is going to be fine with that. Yeah. So that's where you go. I miss it a lot, so I I want to... Yeah, well, we, we, we miss you, so uh, I know that for a fact. We often speak of you. <laughs> That's nice to know. And you did make, the last time you kind of went to writing group was on our writing retreat, actually. Yes, you you made it along great. to that, yeah, which was yeah. great, although oh, you couldn't stay, that. yeah. But it was good. And that's where I met Richard, who I've just done yes. the conversation with, for, <laughs> for, for people who are listening to it, to it. I don't know how, when, not, in what order they'll go out, but for completists, you can, you can get an idea of what day these both took place. So... The other question that I ask people is, 
how um, no that's the question I've already asked <laughs> is what do you do now mostly at the moment I'm a mum I'm at home with my baby who is coming up for one year old now she's been an interesting transition because I've always worked and this is the first time I've not worked for, for my adult life so it's been interesting but just getting to the point now where I'm starting to feel a bit twitchy about that my, my intention is to stay at home with Arthur so I'm not going to go back to a, a job but I'm starting to try and look for some bits and pieces of freelance stuff and yeah. I'm still sort of writing and so on so putting in pitches for article ideas and that kind of thing to try and get some stuff like that not, not a full full-on job but it'd be nice to get you suddenly realize when you're at home with a baby that you have very little feedback from people so you kind of the baby doesn't talk back to you so you sort of talk into a, a smiling baby and it, you know it's all very lovely but you don't get much sort of reciprocation from it and you start to miss being good at something professional so that's what I've, I've been missing so my plan is to start to write more and hopefully do a bit more yeah you're sort of taking the uh, I guess opportunity of yeah. having a baby to make a go of writing sort of freelance that, that's the way I saw it before I had the baby right <laughs> the reality has been I've been reading your propaganda yeah, too yeah. much um, yeah I was under the impression that babies napped a lot and <laughs> <laughs> it will be fine I'll do it while he's asleep yeah and not taking into account that babies don't nap as reliably as you'd like them to, and when they do nap, you feel like napping too. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, you can yeah. never get as much sleep as you need, let alone. It's, yeah, it's tricky, but getting there, it's, it's getting better. So, well, yeah, I mean, Arthur's a, a year old, so my understanding is that it gets easier in some ways. Yeah. And in time, certainly, you will yeah. get more time for yourself. Yes. Yeah, that's that's my hope, and yeah, that's a, hoping to get back to doing some some professional stuff and start getting because you really miss it I'm surprised by how much I missed it I was looking forward to before sort of not having a job and, and having that time to, to be it's good. I think home, it's, it's not as clear cut as that is it because it's not it's not like you had a, a you've had a year's holiday. No, no. That's the thing. If if you were just sitting around as a, as a writer, mm. I, I would imagine you're you, you're probably the same. You would you'd think, oh, a year off sitting around reading some books yeah. then I'll write some and then then it'll you know because that's what we all want don't we want we don't want to work because then yeah. we can sit at home yeah, and exactly. write yeah at the time but in fact it's intense in an entirely different <laughs> way in a much more intense way than any job you've ever done so yeah it's it's tough that's good <laughs> it's just, uh, but that's been on my mind a lot recently huh? yeah you start to you start to go a bit cabin fevery yeah time even to, if you get out to loads of baby groups and stuff you still start to get a bit oh my god I've got to well even a baby conversation exactly well a baby group is focused around babies yeah, yeah it's not yeah. it's not Emily time it's still baby time it's just yeah. with some other people around yes. well Oxford is a good place for that because the baby groups you get a lot of very intelligent educated people so <laughs> the mums are quite interesting <laughs> but still you're still being yeah, still interesting about and, babies yeah, yeah. as well <laughs> yeah. so we met through writing when did you first start writing? I, I, when I was a kid, I used to write poems and things. I used to love writing poems as a kid at primary school. I, can still, I, I, was, just, I was just thinking, I was just about to say, I would still know one of them off by heart, and I was slightly worried that you would ask me to say it, which I'm, I'm not going to do in a podcast. I would but have done, <laughs> so you made the right call. <laughs> no, I, was, yeah, so I, I used to love writing poems when I was a kid, and then I, when I was a teenager, I wrote terrible terrible teenage poetry yeah, as too. everyone does yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't figure I kind of thought of myself as being the kind of person who wrote but I didn't actually do any writing for a long time I did um, literature at university so I did a lot of reading and so dabbled in doing poems here and there but um, didn't really do it seriously and I guess in my 
mid to late 20s I started doing it a bit more seriously and got really into doing short stories um, mm. which I'd never tried writing before which, I, which is what I still mainly write um, Had you read very much short stories before you started writing? I suppose so, yeah sort of older short stories lots of, sort of ghost stories big ghost story fans yeah, ghost yeah. stories and horror stories and that kind of thing I've always loved Yeah, no, I, I, yeah and things like Sherlock Holmes and so on that sort of short form but sort of older stuff rather than more recent more recently published short stories that's something I've got into more recently Yeah, because you I mean, because Short stories is a strange area, isn't it, of mm. fiction? Because it's it's kind of it's one of the areas that it's not, I don't want to say relatively easy to get published, but I have. I've just said <laughs> that. But it's it's easier to get published writing short stories, but less people read them. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you can you can get out there, but then your circulation might be tiny, and you you don't really make a splash. Yeah, with it. yeah. I mean, it's kind of. I mean, sometimes it feels like more people read poetry than they read. Mm. Uh, short, yeah, no, I short, think stories. short stories have a really, really weird status at the moment. It keeps, I think, this year is being touted as the year of the short story, and there's sort of the big publishers are sort of putting out short story collections, and people are saying that e-readers are going to transform the short story, but it hasn't quite happened yet. You still don't get. Them. Yeah, it makes sense with less time mm. that we would go for shorter form. Yeah, yeah. I can really see it. You can you can see the same thing happening as has happened to to single tunes on iTunes. So albums have less meaning now because people download single tracks. Yeah. You think the same might happen for short stories. So people would download a single short story and, and enjoy it on the tube. Yeah. But it hasn't quite kicked off like that yet. Well, it might. Yeah, it might yeah, still. I, it I hope will. it does. I mean, it's funny because I mean I always enjoy short stories when I read them. Mm. Or well, not always. I enjoy good short stories <laughs> yeah, when yeah. I read them. But I don't read. Well, I don't read anything as much. I don't read as much as I'd like to, yeah, really, because yeah. there's no real time for it. But I mean, have you found much time to read? Recently? I, I uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's not not too bad. I, I, I try to make a conscious effort to read because I don't want to my brain completely to go to mush. So I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I make a conscious effort to read short stories as well as a kind of education. So I, I yeah, I, I read quite a few short stories. Because they're kind of the, the thing about a short story in in terms of its form is it it's really really absorb you know you really absorb get absorbed in one idea like yeah. it's like a one very intense yeah. yeah yeah i mean it is like a song yeah it's like the case kind of prose version of a song you know you get a mm. an idea given to you and and normally they've got twists because i don't know why do uh, they short stories do seem to invite twists don't yeah, they i suppose it's something to do with the length of them they, that you've got to you've got to encapsulate something very sort of quickly and deliver very quickly so I suppose that that, that does lend itself to to that kind of form of, of revealing something at the, the big reveal at the end or the, the epiphany at the end That's, and yeah. I guess it means it can be more kind of complex as well because once you get the twist then you can then it changes the meaning of yeah. everything so yeah. the next time you I think maybe it's also because you read it normally in one sitting so yes. it does have that yeah. thrilling yeah thrilling yeah. ex- experience and so uh, maybe it lends itself to thrillers yeah and I've heard that, um, short stories compared to jokes as well that the perfect sto- short story is the same in form to a joke so you have the setup, and then you have the, the payoff at the end so you uh, have the so whether that payoff is a twist or, yeah. or epiphany or, or you know, realisation of some kind or you have to have something, something happen at the, at the end, end yeah, the, the yeah. punchline at the end of the short story so I, I, yeah I think a twist is, is, a, is probably the not the easiest to do of those but it's possibly the most obvious and is 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 the short story your form? Is that the form that you like the most, or do you think you'll go on to longer? I, no, I, um, a few years ago, I probably would have said yes. I had no desire to write a novel, but actually, more recently, I have been dabbling in writing a novel, and I um, would like to try and, and finish it and do something with a longer form. I love short stories, and I love writing them, but uh, I, I finally had an idea that could only be a novel, and I, I, I 
could. That's too big it. for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of expanded. Yeah, which actually interestingly started out as a short story that I wrote for a class years ago that I couldn't finish. I wrote half a short story and couldn't finish the end of it, and I think it turned out to be because it was a much bigger idea than would fit in a, a short story. So and is that that I think I've read? Have I read some of that? You probably have. Yeah, have, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that was because cool. I'm a big fan of your writing. I'll make a make a disclaimer now. <laughs> I'm a I'm a big fan of your writing. Um, not to say that I'm not a big fan of, of lots of people's writing. I'm always, I don't know if it's happy or sad to find how many people are good at writing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's depressing. Um, it, it can be frustrating. Yeah. If you enjoy it, then it fills you with a sense of panic as well. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean... Finding another good writer. Yeah, that's right. I mean, because when I was at school, I was like, it felt like I was a kind of uh, celebrity or something, because I was like one of the few people that did that sort of thing, and I wrote plays, and they got, you know, we produced them, and so I thought, you know, yeah, you know I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big, big cheese, but then uh, with every year that's gone since yeah. then, I found more and more people uh, with yeah. talent, but you have, I, I do think you, you, you have a real ability to use language with precision, and I think yeah. that's the kind of thing, I mean, and, and, and that's something that I think Jen, my girlfriend, does as well. Yeah, like, it's something does, I admire yeah. in both of your work, mm. and I'm like, oh, I wish I could, because I'm not a, preci- I'm not, I'm not precise. Like precision is something mm. I really have to work on to get, you know, because well, I'm, I'm yeah. all about the big, big, big yeah, ideas, yeah. and I f- flutter through it all, and then I'm like, <laughs> oh, now I've got to make that readable. <laughs> Although I think that's to me, for me, that's part of the process as well. A lot that that I, mean, I, do, I do enjoy that precision, and I do a lot of editing, and I think for me that that comes out of the editing. Mm. I enjoy the editing part of writing more than the actual writing part of writing. Do you? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate sure. the editing part. Oh, the, the, the horrible <laughs> bit is when you've got a blank page and you've got to get to the end of the bloody story. That's that's the hard work bit. When that's horrible. You've got too, a story, yeah. and, a, and it's no matter what form it's in. Once you've got a story, then the editing bit is is fun. But so I think that, that kind of finding that precision in language comes out of it's it's not there in the first draft for me. I, it's just, I have to make it happen. How many? I mean, is it uh, like the the danger with people who enjoy editing? And I I, I don't necessarily <laughs> think that you are, have this 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 problem, but is that they never stop? Yeah, that's probably. Just, well, I, recently, I've, I've found it's always been the case. That if you look back at a story that you wrote a couple of years ago, it's always there's always stuff that you would now change. But there's a couple of things I've written that I still think that that's probably as good as it's going to get. It's not going to get. Better, so. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's it's very rare to have that experience a few mm. years later when you look back at something and yeah, mostly it's like, oh yeah, god. oh god, <laughs> how did I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the moments I enjoy probably most in terms of writing, I think, are you're right. The blank page thing is horrible, but once once it's once I've got to start it, once it's rolling, that's the bit I enjoy the most. When I'm like, it's. Then I'm like it's like skiing or something. I've I've jumped off the t- oh, I've jumped off the top and I'm sliding down and that's yeah. the great bit. I really like that bit. Oh, when uh, you're, yeah, when you're in the zone, that's fantastic. You know where you're going and it's it's all flowing. That's great. But too much of the time for me, I I, I lose the track and no, <laughs> end yeah. up in the woods somewhere. And, no, yeah. I mean I, I yeah. Lots of people who I write, talk to about writing, that's what they say. That that's why they don't like. That's why they what why why they find that kind of the process of getting the first draft done mm. to be hard mm. and that's the bit I find really not easy I don't want to say easy because everybody's got their own <laughs> difficulties not everything's not every piece I write is going to be easy as well mm. there are ones I've, I've really yeah. slogged at as well and, and the other thing I enjoy is when it's done 
and yes. I'm like, yes, it's done, it's done, it's done. And then I give it to someone to read, and then they see all these flaws in it, and then I have to see those flaws in it too, and then I have to go away, it's and like, then, oh God. then the editing is the bit I hate. Yeah. Actually, there's lots of stories that I've gone back to, and somewhere in there there is a good story, but it needs a complete rewrite to get it there. And you're sort of thinking, oh God, back back there again yeah don't want to leave the idea behind but it's how yeah it's like a jigsaw puzzle as well yeah. you start moving yeah. things about and then and you the can't remember where you put that piece <laughs> yeah. oh yeah i think that yeah that's the hard that's the hard editing that's the yeah. editing i really yeah. don't enjoy when it's but but even the crafting even the going over and over i'm really how do you keep yourself interested but that's the bit i find interesting i i i, I like having the words in front of me I, mean, I, I like editing non-fiction stuff as well. I, I, so I, there's something so geekily satisfying about taking a sentence that doesn't work and making it into a sentence that does or works better. Mm. So I quite enjoy when I run a couple of websites where I have to edit other people's work, and I, I really enjoy that. I love taking something they've written, which is obviously, which is sometimes, I mean, sometimes fine, but sometimes not that they're not writers, so it's not that great, and turning it into something which just sounds better. That's I just yeah, that's something. Very wow. about that. <laughs> so, I quite sad, but no, it's not sad. It's just a, it's just a, a way of being. Mm. I mean, I like editing people's stuff more than I like editing my own mm. stuff. I'm not great at spotting grammar problems or paragraph problems or whatever. I'm not. Um, that's not even the right word. I wasn't even looking for punctuation. I'm not really necessarily <laughs> great on uh, punctuation or grammar. I'm not great in, in my own work, and I'm not great at spotting it in other people's. I, I, I do like taking out you know taking apart people's phrases and making them better yeah. I do yeah. like that yeah. finding the meaning in things and, and conveying it better that's but I like it more when it's other people's it's, it's much easier when it's other people's yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, I read something the other day about uh, when, when you're writing your own work putting it away for as long as possible until you almost forget that you wrote it and, and, yeah. then, and then you bring it out again and read it as if you're someone else and that makes it much easier so. I try to do that mm. I try to leave things for a big chunk of mm. time yeah you're very active in terms of writing online mm. which is interesting because like, a lot of your tastes are quite not I don't want to say old fashioned <laughs> but I have said it again <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know you have a kind of I, I would say you have a, a a real interest in Victorian style. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I like sort of older writer, reading older writers, um, and my style often sort of slipped into that. Not, not, in, not entirely intentionally. I just I, I find that era fascinating. So I've written quite a lot of stuff that's set in that era. Yeah, I mean, I didn't and mean I, to suggest that your work has a Victorian. I think your actual your writing is very contemporary. Mm. I think, but it has an influence by, it does, by yes, that kind of yeah, Victorian, yeah. like you say, ghost stories and. Uh, yeah, Sherlock Holmes. I, yeah. I, I think that is because I, because of that kind of thing that I loved so much when I was a kid or a young teenager. Would read Sherlock Holmes stories over and over again, just the, the same ones, and that, that that kind of style has just always stayed with me as something I I love reading. So I can I can still go back and read Sherlock Holmes and enjoy it. It's great. Now. Yeah, it's great. I so, mean, I, I wish I'd read more Sherlock Holmes. I want to. It's always on my list of things to mm. read. I got given. I got really into Sherlock Holmes. I read all the short stories, and then I was going to read everything, and. A colleague I used to work with in a library gave me their copy of like the complete works of Sherlock Holmes, which was a really kind thing of them to do. But it's so big, it's huge. I couldn't take it. I couldn't read it on the train. I couldn't do it. And then, and then I felt I had to read that. You know, I couldn't be going into work and because I worked in a library, getting out all of the other books in small form. And then I never read. Anyway, it's, it's on my list of things to eventually read. But I love, I love the actual stuff I've read. You. Um, 
But you, you, but yeah, that's what I was kind of. You, but you, you sort of have a love of this kind of Victorian style, but you also have embraced very much the internet age. I yeah, would say. Yeah, I'm an internet geek. Yeah, I, love, I, love <laughs> the I spend a lot of time online. <laughs> yeah. You've done blogging, haven't you? Yeah, so not, not, I'm not a regular blogger. I wouldn't say. I've got a, I've got a few websites that I add to. I yeah. Know. A photo website involving my baby, which was <laughs> had a oh, burst yeah. of success a few months ago. Um, yeah, I want to get sorry. into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, I, I do enjoy writing stuff online, and I've written stuff for other websites as well, which uh, sort of literary stuff and so on. So yeah, I like yeah, I get a thrill from seeing my stuff in print. Yeah, yeah. well, that's the thing. That's the great the great thing about the internet is yeah. there's no publisher to no. say no. Is no. It? But you used to have a blog which I used to read, and it was just semi regular. Yeah. But it was play. Oh, small plays. Yeah, my yes. small plays. I've forgotten. Yes, small <laughs> plays. Yes, one, yeah. exactly. When you worked yes. in a bookshop, I did. Yeah, for um, about four years, I worked in a, a second-hand bookshop in London on Charing Cross Road, which at the, at the time was the oldest bookshop in London. Although towards the end, they moved premises. They had to. They were forced to move out of the oldest bookshop. But it was a very sort of atmospheric place to work, and lots of the cu- customers were real characters. There's something about a second-hand bookshop that in, invites a certain type of mad old man basically. <laughs> <laughs> who would make up probably 75% of our customers were, were barking mad old men um, which it, you get very affectionate towards them um, lots of regulars who, who come in as well and it would just have the most insane conversations with people and so I started to write them down in fact I think it was when I first met Richard and I would email him to tell him about my day and would, would somehow, sometimes summarise the day in a small play and then he said that you should make that into a blog so I, I did and yeah I I did that quite quickly for a while. Yeah. It was good. I mean, it was really always. I've never read one and not enjoyed it. <laughs> I've often thought very strange people come into your <laughs> shop, but and so what was it like being a writer and and working in a bookshop? Was that a good fit? It was. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, especially a second-hand bookshop. Yeah. But, um, I mean, for one thing, you're surrounded by great sources of inspiration. So old books are a brilliant. Yeah. Inspiration. All kinds of old books, non-fiction and, and sort of nature books and history and that kind of thing. And, you get to spend all day well not not all day reading them I wouldn't go that far no <laughs> <laughs> you leaf through occasionally so yeah. That, yeah that's good yeah. I mean because I mean I've worked in libraries quite a lot of my 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 working life but I think that I think probably it's a different culture maybe mm. in a library certainly a public library in um, the modern kind of pressures are on these kind of institutions yeah I'm sure compared yeah. to like because everyone always thinks, oh, you work in a library, you must just sit there and read books and drink tea. But you don't. But part of me thinks that probably when you work in a bookshop, you do. Well, you do to a certain extent, especially a bookshop of that size. I mean, I've worked in Waterstones, and you certainly don't in no, Waterstones. No, no, you, no. You, are, you do something all the time. Yeah. But in a small bookshop, and this was a very small bookshop, there's two people on shift. And once you've tied up the shelves in the morning and put out whatever stock there is to put out, there's really not that much to do. So you, you do I can sit there chatting... I used wow. to do twelve-hour shifts as well, so the bookshop would be open nine till nine, and you'd be there the whole way through, and you can't fill your time nine till nine. So you, you do end up, yeah, you read quite a lot and chat and talk to customers, and yeah, it's a it's a laid-back kind of job. Sounds like a good job. <laughs> I'm very very envious of that job. But then, yeah, there's always there's always things that you don't realise are annoying about things until you mm. do them, isn't there? Yeah. Because yeah. I guess being out from nine to nine is quite a long. It was, yeah, chunk yeah, of yeah time it was a good shift pattern. It was three days on and four days off mostly. Yeah, you know, which is. This is definitely sounding like a brilliant job. And so, um, (laughs) and and I mean, was that that like how did you come like like so you've worked you're saying that you've worked 
this is the first year you've had off work. Yeah, so I used to work in TV. That's what I went into when I left university. Okay. I started out in television post-production and then moved into production. And I was a researcher and an assistant producer for history programmes for quite a few years. Okay. Um, which was great. I did some great things. So various history is a great thing to work in when you're doing TV. You get as a researcher, you get to do loads of really interesting research. Oh, and yeah. So putting together, I used to do sort of drama documentaries. So you'd have to organise shoots, sort of reconstructions and that kind of thing, which was always very good fun. Oh, brilliant! My my highlight was having to. We were doing a reconstruction of the uh, murder of Thomas Beckett, the Archbishop of Canterbury. And in the story, when they undress his body after the murder, they find that he's wearing a hair shirt that's running with lice. So we had to film this, and I had to source live lice. <laughs> I was, the producer just said, right, we need some lice for that shot. Can you, can you find us some lice? So I had to, I had to track down, I eventually track down some kind of animal research centre where they used they they use lice to do some kind of research. And they sent me a box of live lice by motorcycle courier <laughs> to Gloucester Cathedral. I received it off the courier, went downstairs and sprinkled them over this hair <laughs> shirt for the shot. And then, so it's good it was good fun but um it was hard work and i never particularly had the burning desire to go up the ladder much further than that in tv i didn't ever really have a burning desire to be a producer or any higher up so did you kind of fall into the tv job um no i know i wanted to do it for for a while when i was younger Um, i was i was really passionate about it but i I just as it went on i discovered that i was less passionate about it so Um, what what makes somebody just go i want to be a tv Research, like what was the? Um, I, I, when I was when I first left university, I wanted to go into film. I think that was my ah, sort of romantic okay. ideal, and I sort of ended up in TV. I love watching documentaries and so on, so I, I I thought I would enjoy that. And I did enjoy doing it for a long time, but um, it also got to the point where, as I went on, to budgets and so on were being cut further and further. So, whereas I started out with, you'd have loads of time to research, and it would be really interesting, and we did some great road trips and so on. Um, as I went on, there was less and less time for that, and you'd, you'd end up sort of scrimping on that you get a few weeks of research it will be quite stressful and okay. sort of delivering on shorter shorter budgets and eventually I just came to the point where I didn't want to do it anymore so I, I gave it up and I decided I made a conscious decision I want to go and work in a bookshop instead so I, I walked around London handing in CVs at bookshops I did some temping at Waterstones and then I, yeah, I found the job in Charing Cross Road It's a pretty brave brave move I guess but I mean I guess at that time you didn't have any dependents or anything Yeah no it was easy It was a bit of a scary move because it was a, a massive pay cut but um, but it felt the right thing to do at the time and I, I could do it then so, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very, still very glad I did I, I did the right thing I'm a big believer in I mean it's what I do you know taking a pay cut and benefiting from the quality of life improving <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That More was people thing, should yeah. do it. <laughs> Quality of life, less stress, and, and just a, an, an interesting place to work. And I'd always had a kind of slightly romantic idea about working in a shop. Um, and it, and the right kind of shop, I think, can be quite romantic. And it was the right kind of shop. So it, I was very lucky to find the shop that I, I did. I think, so. It kind of it conformed to your uh, romantic idea. It certainly did, yeah. Well, that's, that's really <laughs> nice. Wow, I didn't know that about you, so that's, mm. that's interesting. Am I right in thinking that at some point... Now, I don't know... So I, I, I mean, I write these notes down and I don't always know what they mean, but I think at one point you said something to me about one of the things that you liked about writing was being able to read the stories out at the end. Is mm. that right? Yes, yeah. That's, I find it very useful reading 
allowed my, my work and I enjoy I've done quite a bit of performance events so mm-hmm. I could do a stand-up tragedy show most recently which is yeah. very enjoyable and before that before Arthur was born I did things like there's an event called Liars League in London and Spark London which is another really yeah, and, you, yeah. and I, I really enjoyed that kind of thing I, I enjoy getting sort of immediate feedback from an audience it's, it's so nice. is it, it really what you like is hearing the story read if it works well yeah it's a thrill when, when you've written something you're proud of to, uh, and it, it does kind of it, it reads out well, and that's 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 great. Yeah. But you don't necessarily want to do it yourself because you didn't read in. I didn't. I have done it myself tragedy. before. I think I've got a lot better at doing it myself than I used to be. I think I'm okay at reading aloud. I just I'm just not great, and I, I get quite nervous about it. So. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I I do, and I've got a history of performance, and I still get <laughs> yeah. really nervous about reading my stories out. I just remember. I just I re- remembered you saying distinctly that hearing the your words read out was a really kind of I th- yeah I, th- I, th- I may well have said that about other people reading my work I think that's a real yeah thrill. yeah yeah because in this uh, Liars League specifically um, an actor reads your work and that's that's amazing that process of hearing someone professionally taking your words and and and, and, and some of the time making something out of them that you never even knew was was yes. there which is an amazing thrill you sort of think oh yeah that's that's what I was trying to write and, and, and then you sort of realize that you had written it it just wasn't maybe so obvious on the page as they've as they've made it no it's that's I mean that's true that's so true I mean because I mean because I write I have written you know plays and things like that and that's the magical thing about when you get people to read out your play and you suddenly like you, you go hang on you know this is quite funny actually mm. and I didn't realise yeah all but, the but, like or also people laughing reading to an audience and or someone else reading your work to an audience and the audience laughing in places that you didn't intend them to laugh yeah. in yeah Sometimes not laughing at things that you did intend to be funny, yeah. but then it's a big burst of laughter at something that you didn't even think was was a joke. Which is, uh, yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's I love that exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's great. I, I, I find it. Yeah, when when the when the work becomes something out, like something in the world mm. that has its own life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's definitely that's definitely what I like about it. So your baby became sort of <laughs> viral. So a viral baby, yes. yes. <laughs> For a while I had a viral baby. Which doesn't mean that he was ill. <laughs> it means he was kind of uh, globally was, yeah, sought out. An internet sensation for a while, yes. Okay, so... Right, so... <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do I mean when I say this? In the sort of heady days of early motherhood, I started to take um, <laughs> pictures of Arthur recreating film scenes. So I think the first one I did was Alien, and I had him... He was in a baby grow, and I had him with a rabbit coming out of the front of his baby grow, like, the, <laughs> like the alien in Alien. And I put them on Facebook, first of all, and got lots of friends to liking them and saying they were funny. So I did a few, and then, decided, again, I started a blog, because several people said you should start a blog. Yeah. And it went through trundle, trundled along for a while with some people I knew looking at it and, and liking it. And then it somehow got picked up by a Brazilian blog, so we've got lots of Brazilians on the site, mostly saying, I'm from Brazil, love the site. And every single person <laughs> would say, from Brazil, love the site. If you're from Brazil, you seem to have to announce to other people that you're from, from Brazil. Brazil yeah. And then a Swedish newspaper got in touch and said, can we feature your photos in the Swedish new- the print newspaper? So we, they sent us a copy of it and it had on the page somewhere inside pictures of my baby with, in Swedish sort of headline with Arthur somewhere in there and then uh, it went quite big in America as well so several American TV channels featured it and there was just a, a crazy probably two weeks at the height of it where on, on one day I was phoned by two different UK press agencies saying Do, are you, have you got representation in the UK um, can we represent you <laughs> American TV stations getting in touch can, can we do a live link up with you I was on Australian breakfast TV I had to go to London 
and do a studio recording for breakfast TV. And film crews come around here? Yeah, a film crew came to our house. That was sort of an American film crew um, came to film me doing a, a recreation. And then crazy things like I'd done one of the recreate photos I'd done was of the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. So Arthur was looking, well, he wasn't actually scared, but looking scared in the camera. And on the blog, um, the producer of the Blair Witch Project commented on the blog saying wow. it's the, the best recreation of the Blair Witch I've seen. And I did one of um, Total Recall, the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. And the guy who played the part that Arthur was playing commented on the blog saying it's better than my performance. <laughs> Just like, for me, who's a, a geeky fan of, of Total Recall, it's one of yeah. my favourite films ever. Was it the bit with the, with the, the spoiler, spoiler alert? Was it <laughs> yeah. the bit with the baby, like the other face? Yes, yeah, where Quarto comes out of the, the stomach of the, the, the mutant. That's right. Yeah, so the guy playing the, uh, the, 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 the human mutant commented on the blog, which was very exciting. And it all sort of died off, and it was all very surreal. And slightly scary for two weeks. It was so intense. Yeah. That, yeah, it was, it was quite... It was, yeah, it was, what, was, what was scary about it? Um, just that it, it really was like being bombarded. So every time I opened my email, there'd be an email from someone else saying, "Can we feature it?" Um, and and, and, and sort of watching, I had sort of Twitter alerts set up and, and Google alerts, and it was just there were just like streams and streams of people sort of mentioning it on Twitter and sort of big like radio shows and so on mentioning it and and the Google like the Google hits coming through and, and, and it would pop up on blogs. People who hadn't got in touch but were just sort of linking to it, and it was yeah it was. And you, should, you, you have a slight worry when you put your baby on the internet that you've done the wrong thing as well, that you've yeah. been thinking... Although there, wasn't, there was very, very little negative feedback. There were maybe three negative comments on the blog. Well, they're nice but, and fun. It's yeah, quite a yeah. fun thing. That's what I was really hoping people would think, and it seems that people did think. But when it's all going on, you're sort of thinking, have I exposed my child to something I shouldn't have? What was um, the negative comments that you got? Um, just a couple of strange American people saying who seem to be sort of Christian fundamentalists saying that I shouldn't have used violent films to put him into so I, I shouldn't uh, okay. the films are too violent that's um, part of the why it's funny <laughs> yeah, so that's, what I, that's what I think yeah it's not like Arthur at three months old knew they were violent films no. and I didn't make him watch the films yeah, so yeah exactly so I think it was probably okay yeah the, the, the Fargo recreation <laughs> is funny it's, he's not he's not he's not in any way traumatised by that but the, yeah the, the teddy bear covered in blood on the snow yeah <laughs> Um, and just a couple of people saying it was sort of pointless and silly, but that's that's fine. That's, that's yeah. Well, that's it was actually surprisingly little. I, I was expecting a lot more of a, a sort of bad backlash. Bad, backlash. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in a way, I'm surprised that there mm. wasn't more. There may have been stuff that I didn't see, but on the blog itself and on the other blogs that I read, it was it was generally good. Yeah, lots of yeah. millions of people saying "cute baby." Well, <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah. They're, they're really kind of fun. My favourite one is the American Beauty one, <laughs> which took a long time. I to bet do. it I did. Think it was the most time-consuming one. Yeah. yeah. But that's kind of really funny because of just, just there's so many reasons that's funny. Particularly, it's just part of the fact it's just that he's a boy and, and the, <laughs> yeah. that's the one I was most part. worried about actually. That's the yeah, one that um, I, I thought would. Um, and in fact, that, one of the comments was about that one, saying that's that's really odd that you put your baby into that that film scene. Yeah. But again, I mean, it doesn't bother me. It I'm won't have any to... effect on his no, uh, his no. sexuality. Well, I do in slightly any way, worry that when he's a teenager and someone finds it and, and, and <laughs> sends it around his Facebook. To, to his friends that he might might hate me for it but but it's pretty cool as well I think we, it's but, pretty cool we, we earned some money from some of the media coverage which he's got in a savings account now and yeah and he's got some Swedish newspapers with his picture in and that kind of thing so, yeah, uh, yeah. there is definitely going to be that, that there is definitely that thing of it's on the internet so it's there forever yeah and yeah. it's of him when he was a baby it's not as bad as embarrassing pictures though that your mum pulls yeah, out yeah at least whatever. they're funny pictures yeah exactly they are funny and you know who knows 
what people will make it might maybe a very good thing for him to have those yeah, pictures out there I, really be... I think if it was me I would have liked it so I, yeah, I definitely would love yeah. definitely would have liked it so I mean so that's died down has it it has a lot yeah it really was a viral thing it was interesting to watch it had to sort of peak and then a sort of longer die off but, but yeah so two weeks to a month was the big when it was all going on did you have copycat stuff because that's normally um, what happens well right? it was interesting there was one guy got in touch just afterwards saying oh my god I did this exact same thing a few months ago with my baby and he really had and he'd used the same words and everything it was his, like his baby recreates so even the same word in the title of the blog but it clearly wasn't a copycat thing because he'd based on the photos was, yeah. was different and it, it's one of those things where the strange ideas that pop up at the same time and the luck that Yours was the one. Yeah, I mean, he never put it on a blog. He just kept it on Facebook, and I I did. So, he was a bit gutted by it. (laughs) He'd even (laughs) done some of the same films. Same thing happened with my small plays blog. There was another very similar blog that, at first, I thought thought was a copycat blog. I I don't think it. I don't think it was. But uh, another girl working in a London bookshop, who I think now has got a book coming out of her conversations with customers. Oh, okay. Gutting. So you lost out in that one. Yeah. Again, it wasn't a copycat thing. I don't think in the end. No, but. Similarity of ideas. I suppose it is, you know, ideas do seem to have this kind of ripe. They, they yeah, become ripe, some, don't they? Memes yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's always frustrating. I think when you're like, it happened to me. It happened to me when I was a kid. When I was kind of late teen, I wrote. Uh, I started writing a uh, screenplay of American Psycho, <laughs> and then a couple of years later, that out, the, there, there was American play. Psycho. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, I was. When I was growing up, I was always going to make films of The Lord of the Rings. Uh, too late now. My, my chance is over. Maybe that's why I'm so resistant to the films, because I'm like, oh, I could have been that. It's a horrible that. feeling, though, when that happens, when you see someone else. Yeah, you know, big time. The, I, mean, I, I, I got the exposure with, with the Arthur thing, but the, the small plays thing, I, I never really took off. I mean, got some, a certain amount of readers, but nothing much. And then I saw this um, other girl's blog being tweeted by Neil Gaiman to his thousands and thousands oh, of followers. No. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> I, oh, I did the same right. thing. Yeah. yeah, I think I remember. Did you mention it on Twitter? I probably, I, yeah, then I, I think did, I, yeah. then I think yeah. I looked at her blog then after that. <laughs> but I only found it because of you. I think it was just one of those things where a good idea someone else has the same idea at the same yeah. Time. yeah and you never know which who's who's is going to be picked yeah. up yeah. Uh, it is frustrating though when people do sort of I remember my first novel which is obviously it's not been published or anything so fine but uh, <laughs> but when I sort of wrote that everyone was like have you read the dice every time I, t- I pitched them the idea everyone was like have you read the dice man oh, no, that's a I horrible like, oh. thing <laughs> yeah I mean and actually I, I read the dice man and it's significantly different so it's alright but it, you know it, it, it just reminds you that there isn't anything yeah, there's, it's, original there's nothing new yeah, you know yeah. There's a, you, you, all you can do is bring your own yeah. voice to ideas What's that you, thing you're never going to come steal like an artist steal like an artist yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That is very, very, very true. So, what is your background? Because I, this is because I was thinking, I was thinking, what areas do I not know about? And I don't really know about like your background. Where I come from, we have this kind of weird sort of. In writing group, we all know each other through our writing. Yeah, it's first. true. Yeah, I, yeah, not really. We don't, we don't com- really know we don't, we don't where have we that come many from. Conversations outside of the writing. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I come from Gloucestershire. Well, I was born in Swindon, and then I lived in Gloucestershire until I left home. Um, which is where my family all come from and all still mostly live. Um, yeah, very normal, happy childhood. Always, uh, yeah. always, yeah, 
always slightly envious of people. <laughs> just a happy childhood. Yeah, happy, yeah. No, it was a very happy childhood. Which is a, but it's nice when you had to have a child of your own because you just want to recreate, recreate that experience. Yeah, yeah. What was what is a happy childhood? What 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 does that mean? Um, <laughs> I, I have very 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 vivid memories of my childhood, which I, I think is. Actually, I discovered as I got older, it's, it's more unusual than I thought it was. I think I remember my childhood more clearly. And I think my sister and brother are the same, more clearly than other people do. And I'm not sure whether that's a symptom of having a happy childhood or just because, I don't know. It's because the way that your like mind's that. work, yeah. 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 So but, what, um, are, what, kind of, what are your vivid memories? Um, it's, it's the books that we loved and games we played. And we, 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 had a, we sort of lived in the, not in the complete countryside, but in a sort of rural place with a big garden and to go off on adventures on our own in the woods and that kind of thing just a, nice. that kind of yeah that sort of slightly huckleberry thin feel to <laughs> <laughs> Jess William or something so yeah just a, a sort of you know adventurous I was a bit of a tomboy to climbing trees and liking boys books and that kind of thing adventure books and ghost that, books yeah, yeah that, that kind of thing I've always, I've always loved that kind of thing I still do yeah. yeah I mean I don't I think maybe it's always strange isn't it like I think you know, girls have always enjoyed those books as much yeah, as boys. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's a funny label, especially when you have a kid of your own. You start to really um, question that kind of thing. What, what, what stuff is for boys and what stuff? Yeah, is for girls. I remember I you were saying on Facebook a mm. few months ago or something. That yeah, about, about that sort of conditioning that, that you go through. And I, I do wonder whether, whether I'd be different with a girl. Whether I'd be buying a girl different things or um, approaching it differently. So reading different books and that kind of thing. Yeah. I hope not, but I, I think probably I think probably the conditioning is so deep that you, you would be. I think it's hard hard not to be touched by those that conditioning mm-hmm. at all, and also, you know, it, it gets to a certain point, doesn't it? It's like because I mean, I've all of the children in my family are girls, and once they want stuff, then it's hard to. I'm not saying that they should be given everything, but you can't but if, force a child. If a child like, is yeah. loves the idea of princesses, you can't force them. To how like can you not get them stuff to yeah. do with princesses? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can, and I do look for stuff to do with princesses that's challenging to the mm. gender stereotypes of princesses. But that's just, but you, that's where you got to start if yeah. you wanted to, yeah. to, yeah. to have a dynamic with you them. Can't you can't give them say, what you like. You want them to like, yeah, because they'll just find it boring. Exactly. And, it, and it's not really to do with upbringing. I don't think. I mean, my, my sister is very different from me, and, and always was when we were kids. So I remember both of us writing off at the same time to Jim will fix it, um, and she asked if she could wear the ruby slippers from the Wizard of Oz, okay. and I asked if I could go in an anti gravity flight. And that was the <laughs> contrast between the two of us. So she, we just open our stockings on Christmas morning, and I'd have Lego, and she'd have like a princess like, crown or something. So, and we had the same childhood. So, it's not a yeah, it's not absolutely. because of something our parents did. It's just yeah, the way we ended up for some reason. And are you? I mean, and now you've got a child. Are you? And you? And you're sort of trying to recreate that happy childhood. Do you? Do you think that's going to be difficult? I hope not, because I think I'm quite a childish person. I think that's, <laughs> that's probably, I think that's probably an important thing. I mean, it sounds silly, but I think it probably is an important thing. That in the, uh, I think if your parents can find find you interesting and spend time with you, and and I, I, I hope what I want to do is to 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 give Arthur a sense of wonder and interest in things. I think that's 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 the most important thing. And I, I, hopefully, I can. I, I'm looking forward to doing that. I think yeah. I enjoy doing that. It's not a chore. No, I, you know, I still love playing with Lego and that kind of thing. So that's <laughs> so, a, that's an yeah. excellent position yeah. to be yeah, in, so, and it's it's fun. It's yeah, it's it's lovely having a kid, read all the kids' books again, and see them being. I mean, he's a bit young at the moment, but I'm really looking forward to seeing him be excited by things. And, and it is good to read. I'm, I I really like children's fiction. 
and uh, teenage fiction as well. I yeah. really like both yeah. of those uh, areas. It must be really nice to have an excuse to read them yeah, again, again. Yeah. and to read, be able to, and to be able to look forward to reading them to him, yes. and re- with him, yeah, and having yeah. that experience. And it'll be the first time that he's read them, or you know, to seeing him fall in love with things. That, yeah, the I mean, thing I used to like. this Christmas I was trying to introduce my, I think, well, I successfully introduced my niece to um, the Moomin books, oh, yeah. which I, yeah. I, I have a, a uh, really deep feelings about. I don't know really why, but I'm, could, maybe because they're amazing. But uh. yeah, no, I've read, I never really read them as a kid, though. I've only ah. found them as, as an adult. I mean, we had a couple, I may have read a couple, but not, I've never really got that. They answer. speak to something very adult. Yeah. There is something very kind of existential about them. Mm. Maybe it's the Norwegian setting or whatever. Of, I don't know. That seems like a stereotype <laughs> when it's coming out of my mouth. But like, there is something very matter of fact. Yes. You know, yeah. very. They're very mysterious, aren't they? They're, they're, I think that's that's. I'm not sure I liked them that much as a kid. I think I was slightly um, not scared exactly, but I, I was. Uh, I didn't quite know how to place them. I, 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 they are. I they're yeah. outside. Yeah, they're outside mm. of logic. Mm. Like scary things will happen and then it'll just end. Yes, like the, the scary yeah. things will be over and there'll be there will be there'll be no repercussions from it. It's just <laughs> like you know the world is going to end. Oh no, it's not. Right, fine. <laughs> I mean, and and yeah, that sort of. I think as a kid that spoke to me quite a lot because maybe I didn't have a happy childhood. Mm. Like uh, I didn't have a simple childhood. I wouldn't say it was an un- unhappy childhood, but there was a lot of complicated moral ambiguities mm. and uh, very strange things going on. And so for me, that was reality. Whereas if you've got a kind of more of a happy childhood, yeah. then maybe yeah. that's more something. Yeah, that stranger. Seems unsafe stranger. And it's, yeah, it's stranger. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, I guess most children's fiction is kind of very much kind of. A, the classic quest adventure, yes. yeah. get you know, get get rid of the bad guys, and then Resolution everyone's and happy yeah, at the end. Yeah. 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 So you had a happy childhood in Gloucester, <laughs> yeah. and so what, how did you come to be in London in an, in my writing group <laughs> or in your writing group that I joined? Um, I went to university in Sheffield, and then I pretty much straight after university moved to London and did some work experience at the BBC, and then yeah, I just I just stayed in London. I was in London for getting on for 15 years I think before leaving I wanted to be in London when I left university it seemed like the place to go it was a place to go if you wanted to work in the media and I yeah I had a, a you know, I lived with and a did, partner a long time, for a long time in London and did you enjoy life. the London experience yeah, I loved it yeah absolutely I, I, if you'd asked me 10 years ago I never would have thought I would have left London I, I, I thought I was a Londoner for life I, yeah, I love London it was my home for a long time yeah um, although now, now out of it now with some Perspective. I can I can now see the attraction of living somewhere that isn't London. Yeah, I'm enjoying Oxford, but no, London's a great place. Well, Oxford's a bit more kind of rural, like your childhood in a way. So it's it is, although it's um, it's, it's a great compromise, Oxford, because it's it's quite a small city and it's got it's it's quite rural. You've got to rural bits actually in the city. Um, it's it's a very small city, so you can easily get out of it. But at the same time, it's quite cosmopolitan. It's very touristy, so you get the same kind of very crowded streets in the centre that, that, that London gets. There's a lot going on. The university obviously brings a lot of, sort of events and, and stuff in. There's festivals and, and that kind of thing. So <laughs> it's a busy city. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. It's a good. It's a good compromise for a place to lo- to move to bring to up a, from London. Yeah, and is, do you think it's a, a good place to bring up a child? Is I it? hope so. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it probably is. It seems to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got lots of. You, you have got the rural bits to it, but you still have that. You're not going to be stuck in the middle of nowhere. I'm, yeah. I wouldn't really want to live in a completely rural setting. I think I, I'm a city person now. So. Yeah, so, yeah, I know so. what you mean. I always want to be a rural person. I I spent grew up some of my time in my childhood as a in the countryside, and I I do kind of 
yearn for that when I'm in the city. Mm. But when I'm in the countryside, I kind of yearn. Yeah, I could like, do, do it full time. I can't do either. Work. Like mm. I, I, I'm both the town mouse and the country mouse. Mm. I, yeah. I, I like to swap between the two. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a strange one, London. It's a, mm. it's a strange thing to to crack. I thought that I was going to find it really hard, and I did find it quite hard for a couple of years. But now I've really settled into it. Yeah, yeah. Like you find your spot, your sort of niche in London, don't you? And then, yeah. Yeah, because it's hard initially, just because everything's so fast and. Busy I think I, I, think I pretty immediately, immediately fell in love with it. I, I've did you? Always been. I, I remember because I got it was my first job really um, in in London, and I remember walking through Soho. I was a runner for a post production company, walking through Soho delivering a tape to somewhere quite late at night. And just it was just the most exciting place I'd ever been in my life. And I had a Pogue song going through my head. I was very into the Pogues at the time. Yeah. Um, the the, um, the rainy streets of Soho, and it was it's raining. I had this very vivid memory of walking through Soho, thinking, right, this is where I am now. I'm, I'm living in London. This is the most fucking amazing thing that's yeah. happened to me. Yeah. So that, I've always felt that London was a very exciting place to live. It is certainly. Mm. I think it's uh, that's something that I've yeah been surprised by because mm. my family's always lived in London and I've always gone to stay with them it's always been a kind of holiday place mm. and now but then living in it is a very different experience mm. and actually you know people get annoyed with London all over the country and I've been in many of those places where they get annoyed with London and I understand why but you know when you move to London it is really exciting and yeah. there is loads yeah. of things happening yeah. The last thing on my list of things was you did a spark story about discovering bats in your house. <laughs> I experienced that story like live, like live at the time, like tweeting. I was going, oh, yeah, I was right, travelling. Yeah. I was going on, actually on a on a different, getting better acquainted road trip. I think, and I was like on a on a bus for a number of hours, just kind of watching you live tweet the uh, this experience of these bats. The bat experience, yeah. It's, it, it really is one of the strangest things that's ever happened to me. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Waking up in the middle of the night. In the pitch black, and the, the, there's something in the room fluttering around above your head. And a few a few weeks before that, we'd had a couple of giant um, moths in the room. So I thought it was that again. So I, which was bad enough. You don't really want a moth in your bedroom that's yeah. like several inches across. But it wasn't. It was two bats. Yeah, that had got in. I've never been that close to a bat that's before. Weird. They're such wild, sort of distant creatures that you don't you don't really see them. And yeah, yeah they're strange, them. aren't they? Because yeah. they. They're so like mice in some ways, but yeah, then they're, they're really quite small, very but different then, yeah. as well. And obviously, they were terrified too. So, and you, this this sort of primal fear of them. And I'm not <laughs> scared of animals, really. I, I don't mind spiders and mice and that kind of thing. No, no fear at all. But but a real uh, trying to cross the room from being in bed to trying to get out of the room with two bats in quite a small bedroom was really scary. It was just sudden. Like existential panic, as you said, please don't touch my hair. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a primal thing, isn't it? Because I mean, I, I'm not scared of spiders, but one time I, when I was working in a library, I, I took in a talking book, and this old lady gave me this talking book, and I opened it, and these really ginormous legs suddenly moved out of the. And I've never been scared of spiders before or since, but. I literally like <laughs> screamed or whatever, and because it was it was an ina- inanimate object, and then it was animate, you know, and and this you know this really big. It was a really big spider. I don't think I've seen a, a spider that big in the UK, or or ever actually, because I've never seen one outside the UK. But it was, it, and it dropped down, and it was crawling across the floor, and then the old lady was like, "Why are you making such a fuss?" And she just like picked it up and put it out the door. And, uh, a very kind of emasculating experience as well. But it's that unexpected. 
element of it as well. Yeah, it really is primal. Spider in an audio book or bats in your bedroom. Like and so, um, and you had the bats in your room. I mean, how did they get in? They threw. It was summer, so the window was slightly open. So okay. They, um, they must have been under the eaves of the house, I guess, and they'd, they'd come in. I don't know why. Decided come in, to come yeah. in, but and two of them, not just one of them. Yeah. Two of them had come in. Yeah. So, so yeah, very. I, I don't know. Why, and but, but you, and you did you get them out in the end? We we not through any active effort of our own. We we in terror left the room and shut the door um, with the window open, and went to look up on the computer what you do about having bats <laughs> in your bedroom, and then I've sort of left it half an hour and would occasionally look, and one of them would like, make a break for the door. And, scream and shut the door again and then eventually they found their way out because they, they I mean that was one of the most interesting things is watching them and actually watching what you read about was, was them navigating by sound so they wouldn't oh. it's really quite a small bedroom they weren't hitting the walls they were flying around like mad things but they could it, sense yeah, they could with sense their the sonar walls, so they weren't hitting things so must, eventually they must have made a map of the room and found the way out through the window so oh, that's just, really yeah, interesting yeah, yeah, it was, yeah it was fascinating that's really interesting fascinating in hindsight terrifying yeah when I was at university some friends of mine had a bat infestation they wow. actually had bats like flying around their house regularly God. coming out of this kind of um, there's a bat's nest in like I think it was in their wall or something mm. and they, they were like, and they had a really like hard time because they couldn't they couldn't get the bat. I remember this really distinctly because it, it's it's so insane. They phoned up the RSPCA or whatever and said, "Can you get rid of our bats?" And they were like, "Well, are the bats hurt?" And they're like, "No." And like, well, we can't get we can only yeah, they're, they're, if you hit the bats with a baseball bat, then we can come and get them. <laughs> and but, they're protected as well, so you yeah, can't just, so you're not allowed you can't just to. Turf them out. Yeah. So it's a very sort of straight. It was a sort of strange case. They ended up sort of getting hold of. The, the local kind of bat lady, I bat guess. Like, like, yeah, that's like, it's like her job is to get rid of bat infestation. It's strange, strange what people yeah. do for a living. And uh, yeah, so they got rid of theirs. But, but I remember, yeah, them flying through the room when we were around there. Yeah. It was a yeah. very strange experience. They're, they're, they're odd things. Yeah. Yeah. And silent as well, so you didn't really... Yeah. yeah well, they kind of they, they woke us up, so there must have been must have been a fluttering. Maybe it's their wings. Could, yeah, yeah, it was just a fluttering in the dark. But that's really, I mean, that's where the primal fear must be. Is, yeah, it's like yeah, you, of, when you're asleep yeah. and then there's something in your room. Because yeah. I mean, I, that's always really disturbing. Yeah. When you because yeah. when you when you go to sleep, you've decided, haven't you, physically that you are in a safe environment mm. to sleep. That's why you your so body can go to sleep. That, yeah. Oh. But it's, yeah, it must be the fluttering thing that's quite. I mean, having. I've, I'm not scared of birds in the slightest, but I've had a pigeon or something in the room before, and it, again you get that uh, involuntary panic that when it flutters and, and flaps its wings. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. We've got a cat, and sometimes it brings in birds, mm. and uh, them flying around the room is it's very. Oh. Although they, when a bird's in a house flying around the room in panic from a cat, that's a very unpleasant experience in <laughs> yeah, many ways. Yeah. yeah, lots of. And it feels uh, so wrong as well because a bird shouldn't be in a house. Yes. Like, you know, yeah. I've, I've never had pet birds or anything like that, so just such sort of an alien thing. Yeah. Like, a wild creature. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Out, yeah. We live in these houses, surrounded by. I, I, yeah, just the other day, I saw. I was walking to Russell Square tube station, and a little mouse just <laughs> crawled across the the pavement in front of me and zipped into like going towards a shop, and it, you know, and it was a well, it was a London mouse, so it was very dirty. But <laughs> but I mean you know you don't think how close you are to to just animals all yeah, the time and yeah. like, you, you, we're very kind of separated from mm. them and that's I guess maybe that's why we get so yeah, confused when, when we come, come into, into our contact. space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So the last thing that I ask people is, uh, do you have anything to plug? Probably yes. Well, there's my website, which yes. is emilycleaver.net. Yeah. And uh, there's also the story about the bats uh, yes, is on Spark, yeah. and there's a 
Emily did a story for Stand Up Tragedy, which we vaguely mentioned. So uh, I'm sure I'll put a link to that as well. Oh, and if you want to see my baby in film recreations, then it's studioarthur.co.uk. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely recommend them. Are you going to keep that blog going? Are you keeping all yeah, I think, um, I think I was saying to you earlier that it's it's a funny thing when you... I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who has enthusiasms for things, so I'll have a sudden burning passion for something, like blogging my baby photos or, or writing a certain type of thing, which will last few weeks or a few months and then I'll go on to something else and it's not that it's not that I lose enthusiasm for it it's just that something else takes over my time so. serial kind of obsessions yes like yeah, serial so, monogamous yeah, knitting cooking gardening <laughs> <laughs> blogging yeah so uh, yeah the, the baby photos have slightly fallen by the wayside although I do still intend to do I've got a list of films to work through so. yeah it must so. be really uh, fun working out the scenarios yeah it's getting more difficult as we go on I think we've done the easy ones now so they, uh, they tend to get yeah. more elaborate <laughs> well you come up with a good idea and then you have to do it and that's the yeah. problem isn't it yeah. with good ideas because yeah. then you're like oh you know I, I need a toy plane that I don't have yeah <laughs> I don't, I'm going to have to get that before I do it and, yeah, yeah. well like so if you have to take because I guess the was the American Beauty one taken from quite high up uh, how, that, it was on a bed so fake? not the, okay. me, Arthur was on a bed and I was standing above him on the bed but the, the tricky thing was drifting rose petals onto him at the same time as taking a photo <laughs> in the other hand uh, without him closing his eyes as the petals fell towards him well. so I've got about 300 photos of him with his eyes closed <laughs> you see that 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 that's fun it's a funny picture but it must have been fun for Arthur to, to have yeah, he petals drifting yeah, down yeah. Exactly. he's no idea what's going on but he's no. always loved, I wouldn't do it if he didn't love doing them he's yeah. always, always smiling and laughing when, the, when we do them so. that's nice <laughs> Um, the last thing I ask people to oh yes I forgot to do this so say this when I was doing Richard's so I'll say it on yours and make sure I at least do it once today it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you <laughs> that's another one of my catchphrases <laughs> it has been though a pleasure getting better acquainted with you and have, uh, thanks for having me in your house yeah, and thank uh, you for talking to me it's been fun yeah and the last thing I ask people to do is just to say goodbye to the audience goodbye to the audience everyone's started doing that as well <laughs> goodbye <laughs> So here's her partner, Richard, who was also last week's Getting Better Acquainted guest, performing her story at Stand Up Tragedy. An incident on Charing Cross Road by Emily Cleaver. Just a few yards from where we are now, 77 years ago, a man was killed by a flock of doves. This is how it happened. Outside the stage door of the Alhambra Theatre of Varieties, Charing Cross Road, Neris Carter is leaning against a wall in the sun reading the paper. She feels insubstantial today, so she's smoking a cheroot. She feels insubstantial a lot of the time. To weigh herself down, she smokes, drinks champagne and sleeps with serious men she meets at the bar of the Wheat Chief. None of it works. The bubbles and smoke and kisses fizz around inside her and she feels like she's floating off. She works at the Alhambra as a magician's assistant and today she's supervising the delivery of a shipment of 100 white doves. A cart has pulled up and the driver and his mate are unloading a long wooden coop. The doves are for a new trick. They'll burst from a hidden hatch in the corner of the stage at the finale of the performance. The magician... Ackroyd D. Charles, hired Neris because she's short enough to fit into the sarcophagus of swords. He never remembers her name. Even the time she slept with him, as he climaxed on top of her, he shouted, Glenda! 
He explained that it was his wife's name and she nodded understandingly. <laughs> She's still waiting for him to sleep with her again. Neris is always waiting. Waiting for something to come along. Waiting for her moment. It might be the instant she spotted on the street and whisked away to Hollywood. But it might be some graver, more vital task she'll be called to perform. The paper Neris is reading is the Illustrated London News. It's full of noble acts and daring rescues. She might save a, a drowning child from a river or prevent a suicide. Or she might be recruited as a lady spy and sent undercover amongst the high society of Europe. Whatever it turns out to be, Neris is ready. All of this, she glances around at the grimy street, the tattered posters on the theatre door, all of this is temporary. Lunchtimes, she hangs around the luggage department of Selfridges, eyeing up suitcases. She's saving up to buy a good one. She tests the snappy gold clasps and strokes the soft leather like the flank of a pony. Sometimes she leans forward and takes a good deep sniff. The smell of the leather helps her to feel more solid. The driver of the cart is shuffling backwards, holding one end of the dove coop while his mate lowers the other end from the cart. The driver suddenly catches the edge of the pavement with his heel and trips backwards, dropping the coop. There's a splintering crack, the latch bursts and the doors fly open. A hundred terrified white doves erupt out of it. Their wings are clipped so they can't fly more than a few feet off the ground, but they try their hardest and Neris takes a step forward, as if she might stop them, but then watches as a flurry of doves manage a short flight into the road. The birds smash into the windscreen of an omnibus whose driver, startled by the shattered glass and sudden blood, swerves. He shouts, watch it, as the omnibus mounts the pavement and hits a man. The man is thrown high into the air and bounces off of the bonnet of a taxi cab. The impact sends one of his heavy work boots and a sock tumbling across the road. He lands with an arm twisted under him. Neris feels a, a tingle of nerves. She runs out between the stationary traffic, stepping from the wings onto her stage. She kneels next to the man who's slumped against the bumper of the taxi, staring at the bare toes of his exposed foot. Neris clears her throat. Can you move them? They both look at his toes. Don't let him take me to the morgue, the man says. Some of the fizz escapes Neris in a silly little laugh. She puts her hand over her mouth. I know what goes on in the morgue. Your toes go blue. The toenails on his bare foot are cut neatly. The skin looks soft. Uh, I use my wife's cold cream. You can tell. Neris feels herself becoming insubstantial again and decides to hold the man's hand. He squeezes her fingers confidentially. I, I didn't really lose that ten shillings. She looks around on the ground. We can find it, I'm sure. I was going to buy her a dress, but she threw a plate at me, so I spent it. Who threw a plate at you? Says Neris. He looks irritated. My wife, of course. This is it, her grave commission. Neris grips his hand harder to stop her own from trembling. She pictures his wife sobbing as she receives the message. She will thank Neris through the tears. They will become friends. She sees the headline in the paper, heroine bystander entrusted with dying man's last words. What should I tell your wife? 
He looks horrified. Christ, don't tell her. What does she expect when she wears her petticoats to bed? A man's got needs. He contorts as if another omnibus has run him over. My books. Lie, lie back now. Neris pushes down on his shoulders, but he's as stiff as a board. He stares, confused. They must be packed into the case in a very particular order. I, I can take her a message. You won't be able to do it, Mary. You know you won't. He strikes violently his forehead with a hand. He's suddenly suspicious of Neris. You've always thought, I was wasting my time, haven't you? I I'm not your wife. The man looks straight at her for the first time, and Neris knows that he can see through her. To the smoke and bubbles, to her on her back, legs spread while Ackroyd T. Charles rocks back and forth on top, shouting some other woman's name. I've grown to hate you. You've always held me back. The man looks back to his bare toes as they're recalling him to where he is. Tell her that. <laughs> he stares over at Neris's shoulder. A dove lets out a flurry of joyful, throbbing notes. He's a goner, says the driver of the delivery cart, leaning over Neris's shoulder. The wail of an ambulance siren approaches. A policeman, called from his beat, hurries up breathless. He, he, he said he didn't want to go to the morgue, Neris says. The policeman laughs, short and bitter. I bet he didn't, poor sod. The ambulance men lift the body onto the stretcher and cover it with a sheet. As they push the stretcher into the back of the ambulance, the sheet slips and a bare foot waves at the small crowd that's gathered. The ambulance drives away towards the morgue. The policeman sluices the blood off the street with a bucket of water. Neris stands up, feeling the weight of the message like a suitcase in her hand that she can't put down. The conversation that you just heard was recorded quite a few years ago, so Arthur is no longer a baby and I no longer have a cat. Emily's never really come back to writing group, but she's always in our thoughts and maybe one day in the future she will, who knows. Last week's episode was with her partner Richard and I think the two conversations combine really nicely. So if you enjoyed today's episode, have a listen back to last week's episode. If you are a new listener or a long-standing listener to Getting Better Acquainted, please spread the word about it. Tell your friends, share episodes that you like on social media, go over to iTunes and rate the show or give it a review. That can really help. I really do appreciate people spreading the word. Also, I'm freelance now, so anybody can contact me if they are interested in me doing stuff with them. There's many different things that I can offer, and you'll find all of them at davepickeringstoryteller.co.uk. One of the things that I do is I host Stand Up Tragedy. That's where the story used in this episode was recorded. And the next Stand Up Tragedy is happening on Friday the 16th of May at the Hackney Attic. So come along, it's £5 in advance from our website www.standuptragedy.co.uk or if you turn up on the night, it's £7. 7.30s when the doors open on the 16th of May at the Hackney Attic in London. And if you don't live in London, sorry that you can't make Stand Up Tragedy now. We're going up to the Edinburgh Festival in summer, so if you're coming to the Edinburgh Festival, you might be able to catch us there. But also... Everything is released as a podcast, so you can find that on iTunes and on SoundCloud and on Stitcher, just like you can find this show. 